If we live in a community, we often work in groups and organizations. Groups and organizations have meetings. Some meetings go well, and participants enjoy themselves and are productive. Some don't. Good groups and good meetings happen by design, and by knowing the basics, we can all help produce good results. Well, this morning we're going to talk about good meetings and good groups, and I have a guest in the studio and one by phone who can help us with that. Welcome back to Deb Burwell. Deb is an organizational consultant from Belfast. Thanks, Ron. Happy to be here. And joining us by phone is Craig Freshly. Um, uh, he's the principal in a um, company called Good Group Decisions in Brunswick. Welcome to you, Craig. There, We'll get him back on the phone in just a minute. Um, Craig Freshly, as I said, um, will be uh, joining us, and he's uh, a principal in the, in the uh, Good Group Decisions. Um, Deb, we'll start with you. A little bit of background on yourself. Uh, how did you get started in this world of, of uh, helping groups and organizations? Ron, it seems like I've always been involved in groups, whether it was in high school or in college. I was organizing something new or just acting um, with people who I felt strongly, we all felt strongly about a particular issue. So then it just seemed natural that I would continue to work with groups. And so I've, I've, you know, when I stop and I think about how many meetings I've been in my life, it's sort of overwhelming. It's like, holy cow. So all through my early years of jobs and, and um being active in the community. I worked with groups. And then what I did was I started working with cooperative extension and community uh, development and leadership development. And it helped me really see that there wasn't just the fly by the seat of the pants like I had been doing. And then I I did a little bit of um, work, my education in adult ed about that, and started helping other people figure out how to have community groups be more effective. Mm. And now I run my own business doing that, which Great. couldn't be better. Great. I really love my work. How long have you been doing that uh, as, a, as a solo practitioner? Twelve years. Twelve years. And mm-hmm. what kinds of groups do you work with? I work with a wide variety of folks who are, who are doing community sort of organizing, people who are acting on, um, oh, just things that they really want to see some action on in their community. I work with nonprofits, and I work with small businesses throughout the state. Great. Well, now we have Craig Freshly um, with us by phone. Welcome to Talk of the Towns, Craig. Good morning, Ron. Tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got involved. I first um, came across you um, as you were working, I believe, for the state government, and uh, now you're out on your own with good group decisions. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, I have always been interested in government, uh, how we make decisions uh, as a society and in small groups. I studied political science in college. I then went to graduate school, and I got a master's degree in public policy. Worked for the state planning office in Augusta. Also worked for a nonprofit. And part of my work was always facilitating uh, meetings and helping groups make decisions. That was, I decided that I was drawn uh, to that particular aspect of the job so much that I wanted to to, to leave the, the security of, of working for somebody else and. Um, and just do meeting facilitation and helping helping groups on my own full time. I've been doing that for four years. Mm. And what kinds of groups um, do you typically get involved in, with? Well, um, my work is mostly in the public sector. It's mostly state state government agencies, some municipal governments, and uh, a lot of nonprofits. Uh, more and more, I'm working for uh, corporations, but. Generally, in the public sector, I'm a I'm a, uh, a values-based company, if if you will, and and so it's generally public sector jobs that uh, share the the same values that I have. Great. We'll c- come back and talk a little bit about that values base um, a little later. Um, 
I think we all, both both you and Deb and certainly myself, have spent a lot of time in, in meetings. Um, sometimes we encounter people that say, wouldn't it be just easier if I just did this myself instead of getting involved in a group? What is it that groups can do for us that we can't do on our own? Uh, start with Deb and then maybe a response from Craig. What is it groups can, can, can produce that a single person can't? Mm. Groups can really take us beyond where our individual thinking is and really challenge each other so that there's something where if you were just to interview each individual before they came into the meeting, you'd have a variety of responses. But then when you put them together in the same room, something it's it's like the magic of community radio that you were speaking <laughs> about, Ron. Some kind of magic happens. It's like um, the alchemy of it all just turns into something bigger and and um, the collective wisdom sort of comes through so that... That's when it goes well. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. And we're going to be talking about that, Ron. Great. So the, the notion that um, groups can produce something that the single person can't. Um, Craig, a uh, response to that question? Well, for me, uh, a quote comes to mind that I learned from a, from a Quaker woman that, that, I, that I learned decision-making from, Carolyn Estes. She said, we all have a piece of the truth, mm. and when we put all our pieces together, we, we make the best decision. Mm. And uh, I, I believe that being part of a group not only increases our chance for a more creative uh, decision beyond our wildest imagination, um, but also then in the implementing. There's a, a much larger group of people that can actually uh, go forward with much more enthusiasm and, and horsepower, if you, if you would, than than any one of us can on our own. So, yeah, that's the magic. That's the great thing that can happen <laughs> when, it, when it goes well. Mm. Craig, I love that. I love that quote. That's great. I totally agree with you. Yeah, yeah. I, th- I think that we see many people who um, f- get frustrated with, with uh, group process, perhaps, if we could use that word, or, or the way that groups kind of get um, tangled up in themselves, and they um, choose to go it alone. But, Craig, then they, when they want to implement the idea, the great idea they've come up with on their own, they have a hard time, um, they, they have a struggle to get anybody else to buy into it because they haven't in- been involved in the decision. That's right. Yeah, mm. that's exactly mm. it. And, Ron, that's actually one of the beginning things. It just feels like if people can be in on the beginning part, because a lot of us have great ideas that we want to take forward, and there is that sort of um, almost tendency to say, okay, I'm going to take this as far as I want to go because this is my idea and I know what I want. But it is about creating a way for other people to connect to it early on so it can become their idea. However, it always changes a bit. Mm. And so it is that whole... Um, part of, that happens in groups where people bring in their own ideas and it becomes something different, but the ownership is shared. Hmm. Let's let's imagine that we're um, uh, responding to a listener who might be calling and saying, I'm just starting a group. Um, what should I think about? I, I've got a, a purpose in mind that I'd like to, to bring people around the table to talk about. Um, where would we start? Craig, where, where would you start with, a, with forming a group? Well, I think that there are two fundamental things, and I'm going to represent them by the two words, what and how. And what is the most important thing, and that's the purpose. What is our reason for being? What are we going to do? What are we going to do to change the world? Yeah. Um, and, and, and being absolutely uh, clear about that purpose, I think it is, is imperative, because that purpose is what compels participation. You know, people don't join committees. They join causes. 
and to understand what the cause is. Now, a person may have a good idea all by themselves, but just as Deb was saying, for it to really go places, others need to be bought into that. And the person with the original idea may need to be willing to change it a little <laughs> bit to accommodate others and get others bought in. Hmm. Uh, but a group with a strong sense of what are we going to do uh, can really go places. The second part is how. That's establishing your, um, your, your rules, basically. Mm -hmm. How are we going to do our business? And we can get into that more later, but that is also an, an important aspect. Deb, what would you add to that notion of how, how to get a group started? I, I definitely agree with what Craig said, and, and the vision that comes to me or the, um, the sort of uh, visual that comes to me is of creating a kind of fire in the middle of the group, um, a, a it doesn't have to be a bonfire, but it is that vision. It's that kind of everyone speaking about what is it that they see is possible. And that fire is something that each one of us has a piece to add to, and then it becomes something that um, gets clearer, that vision really clear. And I think that there's a way that people don't spend enough time there. Um, you don't want to get bogged down in it, but you do want to have that be what is clear enough so that that fire can be a motivation throughout. Mm. Um, it, it not only is what inspires, but it's what will keep you going through the hard stuff. That's, mm. that's inevitable in mm -hmm. groups. So that notion, again, and I think of um, some of my friends who are just hard charging. You know, they want to get the work done. Yeah. And what you're suggesting is if, if, unless they spend a good amount of time getting that shared vision, that Craig and you have both um, talked about. Um, you may lose some people or lose some energy or different people with different visions um, may be heading in different directions exactly. within the group. Exactly. Right. Yeah. The other thing that I would say um, is to talk about how are it's the, it's the how that you were speaking about, Craig, but it is about how are we going to work together and to get real clear about how are we going to work together when things get hard. And right. so to be really clear about expectations, but to have... Um, a set of agreements and about how conflict's going to be dealt with, differences of opinion, where people are on that. And just knowing that that's not a sign that the group should disband, but if you do the work up front, it's a sign that it's sort of, um, you're, you're, it's like preventive medicine. You're preparing ahead. Right. Well, in the old days, we used to use, um, I mean, I can remember studying them probably in high school or through some club structure, something called Robert's Rules of Orders and, and <laughs> of Order. And, and so that was a set of rules. Yeah. Um, is that what you're talking about, Deb, those kinds of rules? It's, it's the same type, the same idea. Mm -hmm. and, and I still get little shudders when, with Robert's Rules of Order. And, and I'm a rebel at heart, and I refuse to memorize them. And for <laughs> the most part, I don't have to ever deal with them. But it is the same notion. It really is about creating an understanding of how we will work together and um, it isn't saying, okay, I second this and I'm making a motion, but it is having a working agreement like we agree that we're going to listen fully to each other and that differences of opinion are fine and that we're going to try to um, really hang in there when, when we reach some hard stuff and um, put on the table where we're differing. Hmm. So it's that type of... I call them more guiding principles or working agreements. Right, and that gets to some of uh, Craig's language about values. Um, if, if we're thinking, um, if, we, if we believe things about people, um, how people interact. Right. And the Roberts Rules probably had told us, you know, the procedures, but they didn't talk about the, the, the value of human connection. Exactly. <laughs> well, I would, I would like to make a, a yeah. comment about that. 
uh, implicit in Robert's Rules of Order is an important value, and that is that majority rules. Uh-huh. The whole premise of Robert's Rules is that the majority controls not only the substantive outcomes of decisions, but the process. Mm. And, and, and it's a very you know, good uh, set of, of rules if you believe in that premise. There's a new way emerging of, of decision-making, and that is separating substance from process. And not letting the majority or the minority or any particular faction control the process, but handing over management of the process to an independent third-party facilitator. That's what Deb and I do. And I believe, and I trust that Deb and probably you too, Ron, uh, share this belief that when you can substitute, uh, uh, when you can separate process from substance, all in, you know, by virtue of an agreed upon set of rules, but then um, when you can substitute those, separate those things, when you can separate those things, both things are better. You have a better chance of, of more creative, effective, substantive decisions, and your process will go better. In a Roberts Rules setting, in a town council setting, in a legislative setting, the players are not only uh, consumed with the substance of their decision-making, they're also constantly jockeying about the process. <laughs> yes, they are. <laughs> and, and it makes both of those things very messy. Mm-hmm. So what you're saying, I think, um, Craig, and it's my experience as well, is that that kind of a neutral party that doesn't have a stake in the outcome can really attend to process and help people listen to each other, help people um, collaborate on, on things and get, get the work done. That's, that's what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. Yep. Mm-hmm. Deb, anything else you'd like to add to the kind of um, the getting a group started? Um, are, there, are there other ground rules that you kind of use or, or guiding principles that you use um, when you're working with group or suggest to groups? Well, what I think about in the beginning um, is to have people think about both the building some connection with each other and also the getting clear about what they want to do. And so having um, the notion of Velcro is one that I use a lot with people beginning and thinking about what is it that we attach to. We attach to um, the common vision and the thing that we care about strongly, but we also attach to each other. And so thinking about how do we build ways in our meetings for um, that kind of Velcro to get Um, secured and reattached at each meeting. So in the beginning, you have to think about people getting to know each other a little bit and having some fun together, as well as maybe doing some um, check-ins to know know why do people feel strongly about the vision. Um, And then also the ground rules part, I'm thinking that having people bring their past experience of working in groups, both the good, the bad, and the ugly, and saying, what is it that we want here? And asking the simple question of, what do we need to do our best work? And uh, Craig, I, I, I definitely appreciate what you're saying about the, the separating of the, um, the two functions. And I think that so often there's a way where um, in community groups, people can begin to play those functions as well, that I th- I'm seeing more and more people bring facilitative skills into every group that they come to. And so there is a role for, for people in, in our um, sort of positions, but I'm also seeing more and more community members getting trained as facilitators and really having facilitation be embedded in group members. I, so, I love that. I love that idea, and I so agree with it. Uh, facilitation, 
facilitation can be done by anyone in the room, not not just the person standing at the front. It can be a shared function, and we can all contribute to excellent facilitation of the meeting from wherever we, we sit. So that's kind of facilitative behavior that's that right. you, you learn about in groups and then you continue to do in groups so um, that, that everyone's thinking a little bit about the process and, and treating each other well and, and, and connecting with each other, but they're also thinking about that content piece. Exactly, because if we simply assume that whoever's running the meeting, whether it's an outside facilitator or the designated leader of the group, is the one who should be figuring things out, then as a group member, I'm sitting there getting more and more frustrated and thinking, why aren't they doing this? Or mm. why aren't they shutting that person off who's talking too much? It's really just as much my responsibility to be able to say, gee, I really feel we need to hear from everyone. So I know as a facilitator, and I imagine that both of you do this as well, I, I often recognize facilitative behavior in the group, and I'll say, great facilitative move when someone <laughs> makes a statement, and then I start handing out facilitator points. I'll say, that's 25 <laughs> facilitator points. <laughs> that's great. I'll just remind listeners that they're tuned to Talk of the Towns this morning. We're talking about making meetings and groups more effective, and we have Deb Burwell here in the studio with us. She's an organizational consultant from Belfast, and Craig Freshly. Uh, Craig is with Good Group Decisions out of Brunswick, and uh, he's here with us by phone. Um, I noticed that, uh, that uh, on the last canoe trip I took, um, on the Allagash River, there was, I look at it as facilitative behavior, but there was good kind of group camping behavior. Mm. Everybody had a sense of what needed to happen to make things go well, and they pitched in without anybody telling them to. That's what I think about in terms of good group behavior. Mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm. it, exactly. Mm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, there's, um, I think it's useful maybe to name two different ways of, of, of behaving in a group. One is, and this is the traditional uh, Robert's Rules kind of way, is I am participating in this group to get as much out of it for myself. Uh, I am trying to serve my own interests, and I'm figuring that every other participant here at the table is trying to get what they want out of it, and it's an adversarial competitive kind of thing. A, a, A second way to look at one's participation in a group is I want what's best for the group. I think Mr. Roberts and Mr. Darwin were uh, contemporaries. Weren't That's they? right. That's right. <laughs> so yes, I think we're, we and, and we see um, the ability to move beyond the self mm. to the group or the society um, em- emerging yes. in human behavior. And yes. uh, I think what you're saying, both of you and Deb are saying, Craig, is that we can kind of point to that and say that's what we're talking about. Right. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't mean that individuals don't have strong feelings and don't have a, a perspective that they want to make sure is shared, but it's something whereby the perspective is shared in service of the whole. And then there is a kind of tending to the whole as as we move forward. Mm. So um, if we were just to have uh, a kind of, oh, I'll only work for the group, it, people could take that as viewing it, well, everyone would just be in a kind of whatever you want, you know, mediocre <laughs> right. type way. And we all know that 
our meetings are not those types of um, mm. just calm events. They, it, I always look for the health of a group by how feisty it is and how much energy there is there as well as humor. Um, it's almost like taking the pulse mm-hmm. of the group. Mm-hmm. Um, but it is exactly what both of you are talking about, about having that um, as many members as possible who are able to really tend to the whole, mm. the needs of the whole. Mm. One hand for the ship and one hand for the self, kind of like that, that, that idea. Yeah. I'll just remind listeners that they can participate if they've got questions or comments to uh, help with our topic, making meetings and groups effective. They can participate as well by calling one 625 1-866-625-9378. Please give us a call with your questions or comments. How about working with... Um, established groups. We talked a little bit about how to get a group started. Um, how would a, um, a listener, for instance, who's a member of the group, how would they take the group's temperature and, and begin to help improve it from within? Any ideas about that? Uh, Deb first and then Craig? Mm. I always think that groups have a lot of um, knowing right in them. And so I think having a discussion periodically in any group of just saying, how are we doing? And it doesn't have to be um, something that, that has to have a head of steam behind it or have to has to have a lot of conflict. It can just be a group um, member saying, let's just do a check-in or an assessment about what kind of progress are we making? How are we feeling about working together? What could we be doing differently that would really help us? And that type of feedback to itself enables a group to say, okay, based on that, let's make these types of changes. And having a group be able to experiment with trying new behaviors, I think is always a healthy thing. Mm. So, if anyone in the group is beginning to feel, oh, gosh, you know, I haven't been as excited about coming to the group, or if they're noticing that, that other people aren't coming or that meetings are just sort of blah, it really is taking that temperature and then being able to say, what do we need to do to be able to either reorient ourselves back to our vision or to begin to do some things that give us some successes. Mm, mm. Craig, um, what, what's your thought about working with an existing group that's already well-established and perhaps has some, some ruts that they're in? I, I, I very much agree with the uh, evaluation, self-assessment thing. All the best groups and the, the best companies uh, in the world do that in a highly disciplined way, and groups can, can do that too. Another thing I would say, uh, oh, I also agree with Deb's point about bringing in outside ideas. Don't mm. be afraid to, to, to bring in new people, new speakers, new topics. Sometimes we become threatened by those things, but it's going to do one of two things. Either it's going to uh, take us in a bold, new, creative direction, or it's going to confirm for us that the direction we're on is the right one. Mm. So we should not be threatened by, by bringing in new ideas. Additionally, I would I would say it's helpful always to be reminded of that of that mission of that mm. focus of, of of the vision and and again check in and make sure it uh, it still works for us and I guess another thing that groups often overlook is celebrating our our successes and showing appreciation for each other you know group work especially at the community level uh, at the volunteer level. Uh, we can get burned out. We can get frustrated. And to always be nurturing each other and telling each other that we're doing a good job and celebrating our accomplishments, uh, that is not to be overlooked. That has a very uh, important function, I think, in helping sustain sustain a group. 
Mm-hmm. On, on this canoe trip, I can remember at the end of every day, we would sit down in a circle around the campfire, and w- purposely, this was a, a, a student group, but uh, purposely we would say, well, what, what really excited you about today? What was really good about today? And, and, you know, we're looking forward to another day. What would you do differently? So oh, that kind great. of assessment and then looking forward. Mm. That's it. Mm. Yeah. And yeah. having it become part of just the way that groups do work. Right. And so whether it's at the end of each meeting or where it is, whether it's a kind of periodic thing. And, Craig, I totally agree. Both Ron and I were shaking our heads vigorously about the celebration. And I think that that's a way that um, people really rejuvenate themselves and also their commitment. Um, Because it is all about engagement and commitment that really brings in the energy to a group and enables a group to get clear and move forward. Mm. Well, we've we've used about a half of our show, and I'm going to try a little experiment. Um, listeners, um, you've got some really wonderfully um, gifted folks here on the radio. You probably are working in groups. Let's turn this into a little clinic session. Perhaps you've got an issue with your group. You don't have to name the group, but um, that you'd like some expert advice on um, how you might uh, transform this group into a really highly productive and, and relational group. So um, give us a call at one. 1- 866-625-9378 or locally at 469-0500 and uh, we'll see what our experts um, and they're experts but they're also practitioners I think um, what they have to say so we'll start with a, a phone call right now go ahead with your question or comment please is this me? yes this is you okay um, I, was, uh, I didn't want to get too much laundry out but uh, maybe we could pursue a little bit uh, of how uh, we can put some of these things into practice uh, in our own house. Oh, okay, great. You know, with the station. Oh, with the station, okay. Yeah, I mean, there's um, um, difficulties in meetings, <laughs> and uh, maybe this would be better for Matt's show, but uh, anyway... Uh, so what, what particular thing do you observe, and how would you um, think we could do so- something different here at WERU? Well, there's times when there are obviously personality conflicts, mm-hmm. um, and that's part of life, I guess, you know? That some people, and there are some people that maybe have their own agenda or feelings about things. That, you know, they feel quite strongly about it and they want to pursue things in a certain kind of way, and then others want to go a different direction. (laughs) And how you can not be discouraged from participating. Mm. Um, I guess that would be the best thing that, that that would be the overall question. Yeah. Would be, how do you continue to encourage people to participate when they are feeling discouraged? Great, great question. And you know, you, you may be thinking about your meetings here at WERU, but I guarantee you that almost every other listener <laughs> listening to the program has a group that sometimes uh, gets itself into that place. So thanks for your call, and we'll get, take some comments uh, from our guests this morning. Okay. 
1-866-625-9378 or locally at 469-0500. We're kind of doing a clinic at this point of how to make meetings and groups more effective. And our guests, Deb Burwell, an organizational consultant from Belfast, and Craig Freshly is with us by phone. He's with Good Group Decisions in Brunswick. So what would your responses be to um, this this caller who's asking about strong personalities, perhaps um, conflicts between personalities, people who have, have uh, strong ideas, and then the rest of people kind of get discouraged from participating. Craig, we'll start with you, and then we'll go to Deb. Well, um, I guess I'd like to make three points. First of all, it's helpful to realize that people are different, that we have different personality types and different personality styles. The sociologists uh, tell us that those are, in large part, hardwired into us, and we're not likely to change. And simply understanding that helps us view each other not um, you know, as a bad person or a wrong person, but simply as a different person. Hmm. Uh, that's, that's useful to have that perspective. Secondly, in my experience, and I imagine it's the same with you and your listeners, 90% of conflict and tension is due to misunderstanding. <laughs> How many times have we seen a conflict be resolved with the words, oh, I didn't realize that? Or, oh, I didn't, I didn't know that it was like that for you. So, so often, resolving conflicts is done by hearing each other's perspectives. When we take the time to tell our stories and to share our feelings with each other, conflict goes away because understanding emerges. I think a third point that I'd like to make is the simple concept of interests rather than positions. Mm. When we can share with each other our underlying interest in a, in, a, in a conflict or in an issue, rather than our firm position, we have a better chance of achieving a win-win. And the underlying interest is the thing that I want to get out of this. You know, my position might be the way to get it is, you know, we should have shorter meetings and we should do it this, this, and this, but, but why do you want to have shorter meetings or why do you want to do it this way? What is your underlying interest? And if you're able to focus, if everyone in the group is able to focus on their underlying interest, rather than firmly established positions, you have a much better chance of success, and it is success that is going to compel participation. The, the caller was saying, you know, they're getting discouraged. They don't want to participate anymore. And, and I would say the best way to, to, to get people to participate is to, is to show some, some success. Mm. Deb, what, what are your thoughts on, on this, this caller's questions and probably representing others, yeah, others as well? I really appreciate the caller's questions because it feels like um, he's really tapped into some universal issues. And I agree with a lot of what um, Craig has said. One of the things that I think about is if people can um, sometimes take a little bit of a step back from the immediate conflict and sort of um, go back to the vision and have people talk about why are you at this meeting. And it might be a meeting that's planning the fair, the next WERU fair, or it might be something else about programming. But to find out why do people feel strongly about this, because everyone is giving their time, um, or for the most part are, and there's something about finding that commonality that eases. Uh, I think of how conflict gets um, into a tight knot. And when we back up and we um, hear why people feel strongly about things, it really creates a little bit of loosening in that knot and can lead to some understanding. The second thing is that about the differences uh, that 
I know, Craig, you, I liked how you d- described that. And we really need the different personalities, and and we need to be able to figure out how to use them. One one great tool that I've been using recently that a colleague of mine, Carol Curiola, introduced me to is an animal inventory, and it's you can get this on the Internet. And it's a real playful, non-scientific tool around personality types. So you've got... Um, people who are lions or otters, and there's a way in which we get to understand. It's a shorthand, unlike Myers-Briggs or something else where you need to do a bit of studying to, to really get that. You get a sense of why you need people who are um, task-oriented and detail-oriented around the table and why you need people who are fiery and directive and why you need the playful people and why you need the people who are sort of loyal and just harmonizers. So that it's that kind of being able to get to a place of appreciating the differences and knowing how to use them a bit and also having some fun together and just taking a bit of break from what you're doing. The other piece is being able to really um, have an agreement about a way that a meeting runs so that absolutely everyone gets some airtime. And that can be as simple as saying, let's try going round robin and let's make sure that we hear from everyone on this. And while I always affirm that even people who don't feel um, that participating by talking is their main comfort zone, um, and so I affirm that you can participate in many different ways in meetings, there has to be space for people to participate so that those of us who are extroverts like I am and can get my voice into any meeting um, have to remember to stop talking, not just take a pause or breath, but really to support the, the participation of every single person in the room. So I know that's hard to um, say to the caller uh, because I'm assuming that the caller is someone who is a bit discouraged that um, everyone in the room has to speak, but it really is that you as the caller can move into a place of initiating that type of going round robin and initiating a let's talk about how we're doing as a group and saying, you know, I've been frustrated with X, Y, and Z. And I think putting our frustrations on the table is a gift to the group mm. because what we've been talking about are ways that groups function well, but we all know the type of meeting that you're talking about can just be really hard. And we begin pulling our energy back in and really thinking about, I, I'm out of here. And so the group itself loses a lot. So by bringing it back in and you're really giving yourself a chance to re-energize as well as you're doing a service to the group. Great, great. Um, we're, we're, we've got a clinic going on. A uh, clinic by, by means if you've got an issue or, uh, with the group that you're working with, as we talk about making meetings and groups more effective, you can give us a call and, and uh, talk about that, and we might get some good advice, um, perspectives from our guests, Craig Freshly and Deb Burwell. We do have a caller on the line, um, I, I believe. Uh, go ahead with your question or comment, please. Uh, okay. Um, one of the questions you responded to just now, but uh, in groups, for example, uh, people talk too much, which you talked about. Also, people will go off on tangents, and sort of a variation on that is people who kind of hijack the discussion and move it towards their particular interest, even though there are other interests involved in the discussions. Uh, so those are two issues, the tangent and kind of hijacking the process. There's also a third, which is people kind of pushing other people's buttons and uh, getting other people angry about because of what they're saying. Mm, mm. So I know in all three of those instances, uh, it's good to talk to people afterwards, but uh, I'm wondering about suggestions of what to say right during that meeting to try and uh, change the 
kind of the uh, direction of discussion. I'll just hang up and listen to responses. Thank you Thanks. so much for your call this morning. And, and others, um, if, if you've got questions for the clinic on making meetings and groups more effective, you can call us as well at one 625 Any responses? Uh, we'll start with Deb and, and, and then go to Craig. Yeah, I think that um, I really appreciate these points because I think that it's a common issue. And I think each one of us as a group member can say, gee, I really feel like we're getting off track. And and there is a way that um, we know there are people who are just like on a train and they are going fast in a different direction. <laughs> and and I, I find that I have to, whenever I feel that I'm getting um, slightly agitated or um, ticked off, I have to say, whoa, you know, this wasn't where I thought we were going. Um, and, and I'm speaking as a group member as opposed to a facilitator, but as a facilitative group member and really saying, I thought we were talking about X, Y, and Z, and it really goes back taking two steps backwards about being clear about the reason for meeting and what the meeting needed to accomplish that day and having um, people be able to rein each other in. And, and sometimes it is in the, I think it's quite possible in the meeting to say to people, you know, Gosh, Ron, I can see you feel really strongly about that, but that's not what I thought we were here to do today. Mm. You know, can can other people sort of speak to this? And so you bring it back to the whole group, and it isn't that the whole group gangs up on Ron if he were going mm-hmm, down mm-hmm. Uh, a different track, but it is that the whole group gets a chance to sort of say, this is where we agree we need to focus. Right. And pol- sort of, not polices itself, but, but sort of brings itself back to focus. Right. Craig, any responses to this caller? And, and sometimes, even when it's on topic, people <laughs> go on and on and, and, and repeat themselves, etc. And uh, a technique that I find, I find that generally people need to feel like they have been heard. So one way to do that is to, and this is a, this is a skill that not everybody has, but most facilitators have this skill, and anybody could say this kind of thing from their chair, Okay, so what I've heard you say, Ron, is, mm. you know, in, in, in two sentences, what the person might have said in five minutes. That's the skill part. But if that can be done, then that person can feel like they have been heard, and then their need to talk more, to say the same thing over and over again with different words in different ways, just goes away because they know they've been heard. Another common technique is to, you know, jot the comments on a flip chart or use a laptop and a projector, or there are a number of ways to validate mm. quickly what a person is saying. And, and that often has the effect of taking away their need to, to keep saying it. Great, great responses. We have another caller. I'll remind listeners they can participate as well. one 625 9378 as we kind of open the airwaves to a clinic on making meetings and groups more effective. But we do have a caller on the line. Please go ahead with your question or comment, please. Uh, yes, uh, I've done some community organizing uh, for about 35 years, mostly in small groups. One of the places where young people can learn uh, group process is through the 4-H. They uh, generally run a general meeting with all of their programs, and uh, I found that to be very beneficial uh, for young people. The other thing was about 30 years ago, I worked with a food co-op system, and we had a a consensus decision process, uh, which was used by the Quakers uh, for very large numbers of people. But the thing about that process is it was very respectful for both the majority and the minority opinion. And uh, I found that facilitators 
uh, do a great benefit for the process when they are constantly asking uh, the minority people uh, what they think about the, the deficiencies in a majority opinion and to encourage discussion on both sides of that. And small groups, I have found that often uh, you reach a unanimous decision when that has uh, uh, been effectually uh, uh, injected into the process that uh, uh, the there isn't a winner and there isn't a loser. It's like we're all on the same path and we're moving towards the direction of, uh, of success. That's a w wonderful summary of, of why um, uh, consensus process really helps the group kind of stay together and, and use all of the talents of its members. Thanks for, so much for your call. Yep. One eight six 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 two five nine three seven eight. In a minute, we're going to ask what are some of the elements of a good meeting. Um, but before we do that, um, Craig or or Deb, do you have any um, responses to this caller who talked about consensus decision making and and just the the, the the basic skill for running a meeting that you might learn at a four H club? Craig first. Well, I was a four H leader for a short time, and uh, and I I agree that it's a it's a it's a wonderful way uh, in which kids can learn how to run their own own meetings uh, uh, and I wish there, there were more ways for, for our children to, to do that um, I guess uh, no I guess I'll pass and, okay. and leave the time for someone else okay Deb any, any thoughts from this caller about the consensus piece I just want to quickly say that um, sometimes consensus people can sort of look at that and say oh it takes so long I don't know about consensus I and people can have the same reaction that they do to Robert's rules and, and view them as two ends of the continuum and there is something called modified consensus where you're able to really do a straw poll and see how close people are to agreement and then be able to really work with the areas of disagreement so and you, might, you might ask how, how could rich. we change this this idea so that you could buy in too exactly right very right. rich right right okay we have another caller we'll We'll take that call and, and get some responses from our guests, Deb Burwell um, and Craig Freshly. Go ahead with your question or comment, please. Good morning. I'm enjoying the show. I have a question about our uh, town meeting, our annual town meeting. Um, we're required to use the Roberts Rules of Order, but I find that it doesn't work real well. Mm. Um, in particular, we have a gentleman who lives in town who's quite articulate and uh, you know, well-educated and thinks he knows a lot about every subject and so feels quite free to voice his opinion on every issue. And meanwhile, many of the local people don't really get a chance or don't feel comfortable speaking up mm. in comparison to him. And I, w I was wondering if your speakers had any tips on how possibly we could make our meetings go a little better. Oh, that's a great question, and I think, um, again, many listeners would share that, that experience. So thanks for, so much for your call. We'll, we'll see what responses we can get. Thanks. Craig, I'm going to start with you because you um, talk about the work that you do in public settings. I'm, I'm certainly familiar with, with this drawback that we are so locked into past procedures and old um, uh, formats for running meetings that we, we miss what we've learned in the last hundred years about mm -hmm. meetings. <laughs> mm -hmm. Craig, right. what's your response? Well, I think it's been a problem for a hundred years and many years past, the, uh, the, 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 the exact problem that the caller describes. Um, you know, this person probably needs to feel respected and, 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 and feel honored. And, and, and so if we can make the person feel that in ways other than giving them lots of time at town meeting, that, that might be one thing to help. Another thing is to 
you know, have some kind of ground rule. And even in a, in a setting like town meeting where you're using Robert's rules, it doesn't mean that you can't have some additional rules or, or guidelines. And one might be that um, speakers are limited to five minutes each. If you want to say more, you're welcome to make, uh, you know, put your comments on paper and hand out something as long as you want. But uh, so that we can have a chance to hear from everybody, we're going to limit uh, talking to five minutes. Another kind of rule, or ten minutes, pick your time. I don't know how many people show up to your town meeting. But another thing is um, everybody gets to speak once first mm. before we go around and let people weigh in twice. Um, and that, that's another technique for, for limiting uh, airtime of one person. Great. And I, I think it, m it might make sense because not all of the people who are trained as moderators, perhaps by the Maine Municipal Association, also have good facilitation techniques. And so a discussion with um, the moderator ahead of time saying, I've observed this problem. Um, what do you think about it? Is there anything we can do to, to, to make it so that more people feel comfortable participating? Right. Deb, what's your response to that question? Part of my response is that um, you could... You could have a group that gets together and says, how can we make our town meeting better this year? And to really think about, would it mean partially um, having everyone be comfortable, more comfortable with Robert's rules, so that there might be a handout about it or a little clinic? We always do donuts and coffee before our annual meet our town meeting, and so I don't know if there'd be like a little clinic about it then. The other thing is to speak directly to this person and to say, you know, we really appreciate your points of view, and we're really wanting to make sure we get as much participation as we can this year, and to really have this person become an ally mm, in increasing participation for everyone, mm. and just um, encouraging the richness of voices in our towns to be heard, and having this person think with you about how to do that. Mm, great suggestion. Perhaps we've got other calls and other questions. Um, one eight six 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 two five nine three seven eight. As we begin to, to move towards the end of the hour, I'd like to ask each of you um, now: What makes? What are the characteristics of a good meeting? Are there some things that we should think about? either in preparation for or during or after a meeting that makes, makes things um, work well. Craig, we'll start with you. Well, I think uh, the, the leading thing that people judge a good meeting on was, was this worth my time? Mm. We've all gone to so many meetings where we've, we've left or we're sitting in the middle of it thinking, what am I doing here? You know, <laughs> this is a waste of time. And so efficiency, I think, is, is, is paramount. Yes, we can be inclusive. Yes, we can uh, use consensus process. That doesn't mean inefficient. We can do these things. There are techniques. Anybody can learn the techniques to be efficient and really honor and, and value people's time. And I think if I had to name one, one uh, thing to make your meeting efficient, it's advanced preparation. Mm. It's think through in advance, somebody with a facilitator hat on, it could be a group of people who plan the meeting or a single facilitator, really think through every agenda item, how is it going to happen, do we have the right pieces of paper in front of us to make the decision, are we going to handle this by round robin, or is this going to be presentation and then question and answer, are we going to start with a proposal, or are we going to make a proposal from the floor? Think through all those things in advance and be prepared and have lots of backup options in your back pocket. That's what makes a meeting efficient. That's, that's the leading thing, I would say. 
Okay, uh, Deb, um, your initial thoughts about how to how to plan for, uh, do, and evaluate a good meeting. Mm. I I'd build on what you just said, Craig, and say that I think if we can have our agenda items be really clear about what is it we're planning to do here. Is this a discussion topic? Is this a topic where we need to make a discussion a decision tonight? Is this something that's just an update? And and to think about the fact that. Um, so many of our meetings are just reports, I think, of um, nonprofit board meetings. Um, and we really need to be able to shift the focus of our meetings to have them be future-oriented and not just simply reporting on what's happened in the last month. So that if we can have places where we're really using people's commitment and time well, they're investing in this in this particular meeting, and we need to think about what is it that we have as this resource sitting around the table, and how are we going to make the best use of it? So I totally agree about the efficiency, and then also being really clear about next steps, who's going to do what, and um, by when, and having someone sort of commit to guide the whole process um, that's happening, and then doing a meeting evaluation as to how did we do, and beginning and ending on time, whether everyone's there or not. I just um, think that that's another piece of respecting people's time and the other commitments in their lives. Mm -hmm. This uh, the, the notion of, of meeting evaluation, we've, I think we've covered. You can do that in the middle of a meeting or at the end of a meeting, but then put it into practice next time. Um, and having uh, this guiding group, whether it's the uh, chair um, that's doing this or a group of people doing that, um, that seems to, to make sense. Um, when when does it make sense to bring in an outside facilitator? That's the the work that you do. Um, uh, both Deb Burwell and Craig uh, Freshly do a lot of work with groups. Um, are there some triggering points that um, you'd suggest a group think about um, before they they call in a facilitator? First, Deb, and then Craig. I think about the fact when everyone wants to participate in some type of discussion, and so no one wants to be to be in the facilitator position, which which does mean you step out of the process somewhat, as opposed to facilitative behavior. Mm -hmm. And so, for instance, when a group is doing some future planning, it could be useful to have an outside person come in, and then everyone gets to put their opinions in. Another time is when the conflict. I know our second caller spoke about um, conflict, and and when the conflict has just become. Um, unworkable or, or to a point where people are having a hard time hearing each other. There can be a way in which I, I love to come in before. It's totally unworkable just to be able to help people really understand where the different sides are coming from. Um, the other thing is to, is to get people to think about uh, a beginning with a facilitator. It can be a good way to get things started and have people really talk about what they want, and then they can go off on their own. So those are some points, or mm. an ending, mm -hmm. a mm -hmm. good way to wrap things up and summarize. Bring things together. Craig, any, any thoughts about when a group might want to look for an outside facilitator? I, I agree with, the, with, with the, all the points that Deb made. In addition, take a look at the skills. Do you have someone within your group who has the skills to be a good facilitator? Maybe, maybe you don't. And, and then there's two approaches. Skills can be learned. I, I believe that pretty much anybody can learn the, the, the meeting facilitation skills. But if you don't have them within your group, consider bringing them in. You know, if, if we're a church congregation without a church and we're going to build a church and we don't have a builder among us, we hire a builder. Hmm. Um, this is not amateur hour, you know. Um, we can, we should treat our, our, our meeting time with, with, with the same 
level of import that we, we treat many other activities. And if we don't have the skills among us to be highly efficient and productive, let's, let's pay or, or find a volunteer to, to bring them to us because our, our joint time together is so valuable. You add up the hours and the value of our time together and usually the investment uh, in, in, you know, in having somebody skilled at that role is, is worth it. Great. Let's turn in the last few minutes to some of the resources that you might suggest for people to learn more about facilitation, um, to, to move beyond um, where they might be now, just to, to develop their own skills. Um, Craig, I know that you've written a wonderful um, book of tips, um, Tips to Make Good Group Decisions. Um, you've called it the, Volume 1, The First 60. So um, how do people get a hold of that, for instance, and, and what other resources would you suggest? Well, Thanks for asking about that. I put a lot of resources at my at my website. As I said at the start of the hour, uh, my company, it's called Good Group Decisions, is a is a values based company. I really do believe uh, this. This is how I help the world. Mm. Uh, in addition to, to to making money for for myself, um, uh, I, I I try to um, help groups make good decisions, not only through the meetings that I facilitate, but through the resources that I provide at my website. So I'm going to give you the address. You can get the, and then I'll tell you what you can get there. The address is www.goodgroupdecisions.com, uh, just like the company name. And uh, I provide links there to other websites about group decision-making. There's a number of handouts that you can download, uh, tips on meeting agendas and conflict resolution and things like that. and. I send out, every two weeks I send out um, tips. They're free by email, uh, and you can sign up to receive the tips there if you want. And I took the first 60 tips and published them in a book, and the e-book version is available for free. You can download it right at the website, or if you want to buy a hard copy, you can do that. But I don't make any money on that. It's just another way to, uh, to make it available. Great. I'll ask Deb the same question. What resources can you suggest and, and certainly provide your own um, contact information as well? Deb? Mm -hmm. um, when you were mentioning earlier um, about, I, th I think, Craig, you were mentioning actually that, that you believe anyone can learn facilitation. I totally agree, and there are some great ways to do that. One is that Cooperative Extension here in Maine, um, through both the state and also Waldo County, have developed a, a facilitation training. And I called to check in this morning, and I know that they're taking names for people. They don't have a date set for the next one, but it's a way to get the basic facilitation skills that our community members need. And that number is 800-287-1426 if you're interested in following up on that. And that's the Waldo County Extension exactly. Office. Exactly. Yes. And University of Southern Maine has a certificate program in meeting facilitation through their continuing education department. And Pam Plum and Dee Kelsey um, who I have great respect for, and I'm sure you both know and respect, um, have been instrumental in starting that. And they also both have a book called Great Meetings, Great Results that's out, uh, I think, as of 2004. The other thing that I'd like to mention is on the Internet, there's a community toolbox. And it's something that I go back to again and again, and it's just a great resource with a wide variety of um, things that people can download and really make use of quite easily. And then I just view um, myself because I think it's important for people not to feel stuck when they're in a, a tight place in meetings. Um, I'm happy to be a resource, and so I'm always happy to have people call me or email me um, and run their, their questions by me, and I'd be glad to brainstorm with them. 
Great. Your phone number? 338-2162. And my email is burwell at prexar.com. Great. Well, I want to wrap up with a final question. Um, What's your vision of success for um, groups and meetings? What characteristics would you hope would apply for all groups? Um, We'll start with uh, Craig and then um, come back to Deb. Well, for me, it's, it's simple. It's something I've thought about. So there are three major success factors. One is that the meeting achieves results. Stuff gets done. Things are produced. Outcomes are achieved. Two is that it's done efficiently, that the meeting time really honors uh, people and values their time. Three is that the world is more peaceful because of the meeting, that either the people who participated in the meeting are uh, get along with each other better, uh, feel better about working together, or in some other way we have moved at least incrementally towards peace. Uh, thanks, Craig. Thanks so much. Deb Burwell? Mm. Craig, I, I, I love those three. That's great. For me, it's the vision of people coming away with a sense of hope, a sense of possibility, and also a knowing that they can take action. And I really believe that that's what changes our world. And so for me, it's where uh, groups really are about social change and That's Mm. what I look for. Mm. Well, thanks to both of you for being with us here on Talk of the Towns. Um, Craig Freshley of Good Group Decisions in Brunswick and Deb Burwell, Organizational Development Consultant in Belfast. Uh, We've come to that time when I want to remind you that this program was produced with support from Cooperative Extension and the Hancock County Extension Association. With offices in each county, Cooperative Extension is the major educational outreach program of the University of Maine. Our radio collaboration with WERU began in 1990 and continues with your support. Join us on the second Friday at this time for Family Radio Forum and on the third Friday of each month for Talk of the Towns. Our theme music is a medley from Coronach on a Balnane House Highland Music recording. Thanks again to our guests, Craig Freshley and Deb Burwell, and those of you who called in and and, uh, offered your questions and perspectives. Thanks to our underwriters. Thanks to Amy Brown for engineering our program, and stay stay tuned for On the Wing. This is Ron Beard, your host for Talk of the Towns, wishing you a good morning.